Hello again, faithful Tartar Project listeners, your host, Phil Toronto, back. Another episode, another week. This week we have Mike, who is a co-founder of Windmill, which is a modern air products company, and their first product that they're bringing to the market is actually a window unit air conditioner. Um, in New York City, they are a, uh, a necessary evil, so to speak, to survive the hot summers. Crazy that they haven't been reinvented yet, but Mike details how he and his team are thinking through that, some of the advantages that they had with their supply chain, and just design thinking in general, and how he was able to take bits and pieces of experience across just the breadth of his career, even from college and walking away from a pretty lucrative career, potentially in investment banking, without a plan, and deciding he needed to find something that fit better for him. Uh, He walks through us all of that uh, in this episode. It's great. There's a ton, a ton of content in here, and I'm excited for you to listen to it. And before we jump in and get to Mike, if you could like, five-star, share the Tartar Project with your friends, I'd really appreciate it. That's how we grow. That's how we get out and get just more people aware of, of the project in general, and I'd really appreciate it. But without any more delay, because this is a really lengthy intro, we have Mike of Window. Hey everybody, another episode of the Tartar Project. This week we have Mike of Windmill. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, can you give the listeners a rundown of what Windmill is? For sure, yeah. Uh, Windmill is uh, a modern air products and air conditioning company. Um, our first product is a better window air conditioner. And I don't know if you know, the, the, the listeners out there uh, understand the, the, the pain points of, of window AC, but there are many. Uh, and so we stepped into uh, to solve uh, all of them, either through the product or through a better customer experience. Amazing. I definitely needed. I, I couldn't really tell you the last time I would remember <laughs> the brand name of an air conditioner other than just it's a window unit. But that well, that's huge opportunity <laughs> for, for sure and like that you know as an as a new yorker you're i'm sure you're 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 well aware of these things you go outside you look up but they're everywhere um that's part of the reason we started the business and created the brand is because there's you know before windmill there's no there's no brand association there's no brand loyalty with you know you think air conditioning and it's like you know you sort of blank out or you know the companies, LG, GE, Frigidaire, you know, these massive appliance companies that, you know, haven't been able to connect with, with the customer. Um, and so for that very reason, it's like, you know, this is sort of a, an opportunity, right, for uh, innovation and, and, and a good brand and experience. Definitely. Uh, and now, as we're used to with the TAR, TAR project, we're taking a bunch of steps back. Uh, where'd you grow up? Yeah, grew up in sunny Orlando, Florida. Uh, I like I like to say Disney World is my is my backyard, um, and interestingly enough, when I was 13, I got an annual pass to uh, Universal Studios, um, and so like every other weekend, I would go and ride the the, the Hulk and like Dueling Dragons <laughs> and like all the epic uh, roller coasters at Universal. 
That's so that, that was my that was my childhood in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, I, no, I, I actually that that rings near and dear for me because I am a diehard Disney fan, specifically <laughs> Disney World. Um, I have an annual pass to this day to Disney World. No way. That's <laughs> how often we go. My parents like I was blessed with parents that also love Disney World. So I've, I've been there more times than I'll admit to you on this podcast. And it's it's higher than probably years were alive. That is incredible. Have you been to Universal? Have you done like I the- had I, I tried I tried to go I just I didn't have the same love that I have yeah. for all of Disney World the storytelling every every aspect of it. Wow even even after Harry Potter World you still yeah. feel that way. Okay. Yeah. Just he, ride he, or die. Each his own. So. Yeah, totally, <laughs> completely. So while while you were a, a card carrying annual pass holder of Universal <laughs> Studios, um, let's let's talk about school a little bit. Did you did you care about school while you were growing up? Did you have the uh, I guess luxury to not care, uh, given how what however your parents uh, took school? Yeah. Uh, how was that for you? Uh, I mean, education was a huge part of my. Of my upbringing, I think you know both of my parents um, value it, uh, and you know, and push me to to, to work hard um, at for you know from an early age. And I, you know, to be honest, like I kind of got like sucked into, um, I get I get sucked into whatever I'm doing. Like I just like throw myself into whatever it is, and so it's like at at that age, it's school, and it's like that's the thing that. I can perform on, and so I did. I did care about it because I think partly because my parents care. I knew that my parents cared about it, and so I wanted to, you know, make them proud. Or you know, totally, um, which I think is the case for most kids because that's like all you know is like you know, um, what your parents tell you and what they want and what they think. And so for me, that you know, that was that was school, which is which is a, a good thing. You know, it could could have been other things. Um, so I, yeah, I threw myself into school. I cared about getting A's, you know, it's sort of just, um, and same, same, you know, through, through college too. I just, uh, I kept that same mentality going. Where'd you go to school for college? Uh, I went to Penn. Amazing. Um, and I, and I was, I, I wanted to be an English major. I, I loved like 18th century poetry in high school. That was like the thing that like, I just, you know, these like, you know, British writers and they would go off into the, into the forest and like write about lakes and trees. And I was like, this is so cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You really do hone in like when, when you're oh, passionate yeah. about I something. Like go, I like go, I was like, you know, Blake and Shelley. And like, I just like, I was like, this is so cool. I, I, I want to learn more about this. I want to be able to write like that. And so like that kind of got into my head. Um, I also go through phases, right? Like I dive in and it's like, all right, I'm not interested in this anymore. Um, but but English English and, and writing and, and lit like kind of stuck with me and I wanted to be an English major, um, and I I did really well my first year and at Penn Penn is so pre professional, um, and so I had like the Wharton School sort of like looming over me and my grades were good enough that I could transfer and so I just um, I just I just decided to go for it I'm like you know what yeah. I'm at Penn Wharton's there I can transfer and uh, let's do it. Um, and so I wouldn't say it was on a whim, but like, kind of, yeah, a little bit more, more whim than not whim. Right. Exactly. Um, and so I, I went from, I went from English major, like, you know, right side of the brain, create, you know, the creative side of me, uh, to like the finance path. Uh, and I spent, you know, the rest of the three years, like doing, uh, um, you know, uh, 
I don't know, international currency finance and uh, accounting and all the, you know, stuff that goes into business school. And I just, I felt the air just like, you know, get like sucked out of me. Like I just like wasn't myself. I wasn't like vibing on the stuff that I was learning. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately graduated from, from Wharton with a finance degree. I did an investment banking internship uh, my, my junior year. And that was really when I, um, I mean, it went okay. Like I got the offer to, to go on full time. And then when I was considering like, is this what I want to do or not? Um, you know, the past three years of classes plus the internship, I was like, this is, this is just not who I yeah. am. Um, when you can look back and, and say and reflect that it sucked the air out of you, I think, I think you identifying that it's not the right path for you, I think that's right. That's totally right. That's good self-awareness in my opinion. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think, you know, I'm getting better at listening, listening to my gut now. Um, but back then it was hard because I still had the, the peer pressure of everyone else around me. Like, hey, what consulting and bank you know, uh, are you, what consulting company and bank are you going to go work for next year? And I was just like, you know, do I, do I like, do I do this? Like everyone is, is, you I'm know, supposed you, to want this. <laughs> exactly. Yes. It's, it's, I'm supposed to be good at this and I'm supposed to want this is how, is like what I kept telling myself. Um, but, but ulti- ultimately just decided that it wasn't, um, it wasn't the right thing. Um, and you, you just said something super interesting, how you're trying to get better with listening to your gut. Um, I actually, I think that would be something really important to highlight. Is, is there any way you've been tricking yourself into doing that more and more? <laughs> or it, what are you doing to be more perceptive to what your intuition is telling you? Because I feel like that's a huge key piece. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things. Me- meditation um, has, been, has been huge for me just to take 10 minutes out of my day. Um, and just stop, you know, and you can, you can really, I don't know if you, if, if, if you meditate or, Oh yeah. Every um, day. I love it. It's really game changer. Yeah. I use, I use headspace. Um, you know, I, I do some of the courses, you know, if, if I'm feeling particularly anxious or stressed, you know, with work, uh, I'll, I'll take, you know, the two week or four week course. Um, but, but generally I just do the everyday, uh, headspace. I, I just find it game changing. You know, I, um, you just take, yourself out of it for 10 minutes you can listen to yourself think and you you know why you, the, the thoughts pop up you, you acknowledge them and you let them go um i think that's helped a lot uh ther- therapy also has helped a lot big, yeah, big fan of mental health and therapy um you know even if you don't think you need it like it's helpful i <laughs> just agree to, yeah just to like dig into your past and why you are the way you are and um you know especially starting a business it's just uh, it's, it's crucial. Um, so I think those, those two things have helped tremendously. Also just like getting older, you know, um, you just start to like, uh, you start to just realize who you are more and just kind of get more confident in that. I think that's, you know, just sort of the, the the organic nature of life helps too. Yeah, dude, completely. As long as you keep your ear to the ground and listen, (laughs) that's so important. And so you, you got the internship, didn't take the offer. Where where did that lead you next? Like, wh- where'd you go from the departure, I guess, from investment banking? Yeah, it was a hard conversation. I remember fa- I remember FaceTiming my, they were, my parents were in Spain and we were FaceTiming and I told them like, hey, I'm not doing investment banking. And I think they were both 
supportive and also a little shocked because uh, my, my older brother uh, did the whole investment banking, like private equity path. Um, you know, I think they thought that that's what I was going to do. Um, again, they're super supportive and like, you know, want me to be happy and stuff. But I just remember seeing their faces being like, are you sure? Like, then what else are you going right. to do? <laughs> just sort of, you know, your questions like, well, what, what did you do next? And so they kind of had that like, uh, you know, um, there's this like mystery. Well, if you're not going to do that, you said you didn't want to do consulting. So then what, you know? Yeah. Um, like, did you plan? Well, like, do you have a plan? <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, <laughs> which was like, it's kind of the hard part of the conversation it was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do next, but I know that it's the right decision that I don't do banking. Um, that's so, more than enough. Totally. And, um, you know, I think going back to sort of listening to yourself, I think part of this, part of listening to your gut and making decisions confidently is just sort of having faith in yourself that you're going to be okay. You're going to figure it out, even if um, things are uncertain. I think the ability to live in uncertainty is huge. Um, and uh, in, in, in life, but also in the startup world, like everything is uncertain. Which we can, we'll get, we'll get to. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> so, you have to be ready for everything. Exactly. You have to be, re- you have to be prepared for everything, um, and you have to know that you're not going to prepare for everything. Which is, I guess, in and of itself, preparing. Yeah, um, and just giving up that control or the perception of control, almost. For, for sure, absolutely. So I didn't have a plan. Um, I, uh, I was all over the place. Um, and I got an email from a friend who saw this uh, this nonprofit called Venture for America, mm. um, and he emailed me this uh, like intro email. And was like, "Hey, this sounds really cool. You you go into cities that are not you know New York and in Silicon Valley, and um, you work at startups under under the founder, and you learn how to start companies. And there's this sort of um, uh, you know, you're helping stimulate local economies in cities that need help, you know, uh, New Orleans, Detroit, Providence, uh, you know, to, to name a few. Um, and it, it spoke to me. I was like, this is, you know, this sounds really interesting. The other thing about me that I'm realizing is I like new stuff. I like taking risks. Um, and so this was like a brand new program. You know, this no-name guy, Andrew Yang, uh, yeah. you know, uh, started this program, came to speak. I went, um, listened to him talk and I was just like, this is it. Like I, I can, I've always been interested in, in startups, um, and just entrepreneurship in general and, and making stuff. Um, I, I, uh, I forced my dad, uh, to buy me a DVD burner back in the day. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to get into the details of the business because I think I think it's it, it was illegal, but I, and I eventually stopped because I felt bad. But basically, I just I burned DVDs and I'd sell them to my uh, friends and, and totally. And we have a lot to in common there uh, right. for yeah. to share for a beer at a later date. <laughs> not recording. You get me. Sorry, Black. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> um, so it's it's always sort of been in my blood, but I've never I never really. Um, exercise that muscle, um, you know, beyond just like talking about crazy business ideas with my friends in college. Um, but, but this was an opportunity to actually do something about it. And, uh, I talked with Andrew and, um, I was in the first 
the first interview group of Ventures for America ever. There were like not there were like nine of us. Andrew Yang was like running around, you know, setting up the interview. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was it was pretty it was pretty awesome to to think back on it now, um, yeah. But I, I I accepted the offer and uh, I went to I went to New Orleans um, and worked under the founder of a market research tech startup, uh, which was uh, an incredible experience. And and I was like literally in his in his office, um, you know, for investor meetings, um, hiring, firing, like you name it. And I was yeah. you know this wide eyed like post-college kid like i didn't know anything um you know i didn't have an amazing crash course it was it was insane to to just um get that exposure even even if i didn't internalize what i was listening to or you know how things sort of fit together um like even now i look back on some of those conversations and experiences and um it's just it's so powerful uh, to, to get and, and that's what makes venture for america special it's just that you know you're you're taking um, entrepreneurial spirits away from other jobs, you're throwing them into the startup world in places that they can actually make a difference. Um, and you give them, you know, an, an incredible amount of exposure that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten totally. just being, you know, uh, a first high, you know, or I don't know, um, a project manager, something at any other startup in New York or, or San Francisco. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. You just, you became a sponge. Yeah. And where, where did you go from there once, once your time with the program concluded? Did you go to another company in the network or where did that lead you? Yeah, so I, um, in, in New Orleans, I started a nonprofit called Startup Effect. Uh, and, and basically we'd go into middle schools and we would teach uh, design thinking and just like basic business concepts uh, to a group of eighth graders. It was, it was in New Orleans and Detroit. Cool. Um, and I had uh, three other co-founders also in Venture for America. Um, and it was sort of our way to kind of give back to the places that we were, we were in. Uh, and, and we, we did that for, that, that was while I was in New Orleans. Um, and I tried to get that, I tried to get that program to be passed down to other Venture for America fellows, you know, as, as they come through New Orleans and Detroit, they take on the program, they go in, they, they teach design thinking and business, um, you know, and, and it just didn't stick. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that Venture for America fellows want to start their own thing. They don't want to, they don't want to like keep someone else's thing running. Who knew? <laughs> no, I know. I should have, should have predicted that one. But yeah. uh, so that, that didn't work out. And um, I feel awful though, because it was, it, it could, it, it just could have been a great program that, um, you know, lasted and it, and it, and it just didn't. And that really, that really pained me for a little while. Um, but after New Orleans, I, I wanted to start something and I didn't have an idea and I went uh, sort of cliche. I, I went to Southeast Asia for six months and I had, I had a backpack and uh, a notebook and a you know, handful of clothes <laughs> and I just like took off uh, and traveled around for a while um, and almost looking for opportunities either to bring something back to the U.S., um, or to take something from the U.S. and, and bring it there. Yeah, that was a that was a wild adventure. I can only imagine. <laughs> you probably yeah. have some real good stuff to share oh, yeah. for there. I, we could we could spend hours on my on my uh, trip to to Asia. Uh, not nothing nothing stuck though. I didn't you know when it's it's like anything right when you're looking yeah. for something like you're probably not going to find it you know. Um, and so I just, I didn't find it. I think I was thinking too hard and looking too hard. 
Um, although I, I did see a sign in Vietnam, I was just like walking in Hanoi and uh, it was a clothes store and it, it was called Life is Two Shorts. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. I thought it was brilliant. And that is brilliant. So I, um, that's always been an idea in my head uh, to start a shorts company called Life is Two Shorts. Uh, and I've explored it with some people and uh, I don't think I'm going to end up going down that route. But uh, yeah, you never know. A fun idea for, for any of the listeners out there who want to steal it and take it, go ahead. <laughs> Have at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, when did something finally click for you? When, when you returned or did you hit another trip or what, what was the process? No, I, I came back, realized I didn't have any money and uh, I needed to get a job, a real job. Um, st- still wanted to be in the startup tech world. Um, and so got a job at Betterment, which is mm-hmm. a, a FinTech startup, um, startup at the time. Now it's not really a startup, uh, but I was a, I was a product marketing manager, uh, basically embedded on a, on a tech and product team. And I was kind of like the marketing business mind on the, on the squad. I'm thinking about how to message uh, new launches and features. Um, and then, you know, I, I coordinate cross-functionally to, um, to launch new, um, new products for, for Betterment, uh, which looking back now is, was so valuable. Like totally. Getting a team together, like figuring out like why customers want this, how to message it, and then actually like executing it and launching it into the world is like basically I was like just like launching little mini startups within Betterment. Completely. With with support that is probably not as prevalent when you start your own thing. Mm -hmm. So just having that muscle flexed and and ready I think is really important. And then another thing and, and maybe you won't find this to be the case because you didn't spend a ton of time on it, but I feel like your interest in literature and English and and wanting to be an English major and then jumping over to the business world, I think that actually is is really key to highlight too because it's, it all comes down to communication. And if you have an obsession with the written word and how people are expressing themselves and creativity, I feel like that in and of itself makes you a better communicator, which is just so important in business. So I feel like that that actually might've been an advantage for you as well. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think that's a great connection to, to make. I, I love writing. Um, and, and, and I agree. I think it, it just helps, uh, it helps with communication, not only, um, uh, externally with other people, but also just to like synthesize, synthesize my thoughts. Yeah. You know? Um, and just like articulate how, I, what I'm thinking, um, you know, g- going, going back to like listening to your gut, you know, I think jur- journaling too, and like writing things down really helps. Um, so I, th- I think that I think it's very helpful. Also, I love um, puns and pl- and playing on words. So it's, it's kind of Life a is too shorts. <laughs> but there you go. That's right. <laughs> and so you're within Betterment when you still had the bug to start something. Did that lead you to windmill? Did that ultimately end up there? Or did no. you have a couple more stops? We're not there yet. We're not even amazing yet. We wow. I know. That's well, awesome. While I was at Betterment, I um, I started a, a baby toy company. This was, I, I say, it would say like at the tail end of my Betterment experience, um, sort of, uh, and then after I left Betterment, I like negotiated like a part-time gig uh, to like stay on while I was working on this uh, baby toy company. It was called Lookaloo. And uh, I wish I had one. I could, I could, I could go, I, I don't have one next to me right now. Um, but it's, it's a little, uh, clip that fits on your phone or your computer and it's this cute little character named Lou 
and he has he has a rattle in him. And when you want to get a baby or a dog's attention, you rattle Lou or you rattle the phone, and the baby and dog look up, and you you get your picture. Or, you know, it's engaging on a FaceTime if you want the baby to like be looking at the camera. That's um, so good. So yeah, we it, it was it was really it was really fun. We like hired a designer um, to design the character, um, and uh, I went to uh, I went to China to find a manufacturer. Um, I went to the toy fair in New York, like, two Oh years yeah. Ago. At Javits or, or wherever. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. It's, it's incredible. I mean, I just like, I like walked around like trying to meet people, trying to like network in the, you know, the, the, the toy industry. Um, and ultimately found a, found a, someone from the, uh, toy fair who introduced me to someone else who has a factory that was willing to work on it. And so I ended up flying to China uh, working with this manufacturer to get this thing right. Um, I had to custom design a clip because there was no uh, existing clip on the market that I was happy with. So I just like redesigned it, you know, yeah. like, a, like a bag clip. But I, I just like did it in a way that it would fit on a phone better. Um, ended up raising like 25K on Indiegogo um, and through this like crowdfunding competition that I applied to and uh, got it got it going. Um, we, it's, it's really hard though, when you're trying to sell something online and it's a, you know, $12 product and yeah. you pay $50 in marketing costs to get the customer. <laughs> yeah. Tur turns out you don't have a business. Yep. Yeah. You got to hope they get another phone or something cause the repeat per or they lose it. Yeah. We don't want anybody to lose it, but if they did, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So. That's right. That's right. That's or, or they have a lot of kids and they need like 10 of them. That's right. Yeah. That too. Everybody needs their own color. Yeah, exactly. You cannot reuse the same one for the same. <laughs> it's just a rule. <laughs> so that, the, the unit economics weren't there. Um, but I, I mean, you know, it was an exciting experience and it really taught me how uh, how to make something and how and how to create a brand and how to, you know, go through all of the uh, the, the nuances and challenges of starting a business. Um, that was sort of my first foray into the, into this into this world. Um, and I would view it more of as you know as a side project than than a business. Um, but when I started working part time for Betterman, then ultimately I phased out and was just focusing on Lookaloo. Um, I wasn't making money. I started a Instagram marketing consulting business, and I was like helping dentists like build their online presence and uh, whatever you got to do to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, I was you know I was pulling in some money for, from that, and uh, you know ultimately I. It, it just wasn't, um, I was both not passionate about the Instagram thing or look a little like I'm not a parent. Um, it's like, why am I, you know, doing this? Uh, and then I was helping my brother, uh, and now, and now we're getting into windmill. Um, cause I, I was helping, that was the, that summer I was helping my brother, um, move apartments in, in Nolita and he gets up to the apartment and there's this like the, the shittiest window AC yeah. you, you could ever see in your life. I mean, it was yellow. It was cracked. Like the side panels had holes in them. Uh, oh didn't cool the room. It was loud. And we were just like, wow, this is, this is brutal. Um, our mutual friend, Ryan, um, who is now a co-founder, uh, his family's been in air conditioning for 60 years in the city, um, both servicing and repairing uh, ACs, including window ACs. Uh, but mostly they're focused on more commercial units for like bigger buildings. Right. Um, but they got their start in, 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 in window AC. So we, 
we called Ryan and said, hey, can you come over and hook us up with you know, a couple new units? He sent over two of his technicians, put in uh, some, you know, some, some new uh, units, and it, and it just kind of clicked. It was just like, this is a product category that hasn't seen innovation in forever. Even the new units that Ryan brought over weren't that great. Right. Um, and that was like the most premium window AC company out there, uh, you know, before, before, before windmill was a thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and not only, not only, uh, does the product need or did the product need innovation? Also the experience, the customer experience, uh, was horrible. I mean, LG, GE, Frigidaire, they're not thinking about how to word their installation manual, um, in, in the way that you'd understand it. Um, they're just pumping these things out. And uh, they have third-party companies writing their manuals and doing their customer support. And so we kind of came together and said, hey, given, given our connection and Ryan's connections to AC, um, and, you know, his again, his family's been doing this for 60 years. They have an incredible factory relationship of 20 years. Um, they have warehouses in the city. They have trucks and technicians. It's like it's an entrepreneur's dream to come into that kind of in- infrastructure. Definitely. And, yeah, and it's such an advantage. Oh, it's, it's a huge competitive advantage. And, and in fact, if you don't have that in this particular industry, you can't really innovate or do anything because you, you need to have it to do, you know, to, to do anything different. Um, uh, and, and Brian's entrepreneurial, too. Um, you know, I think he 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 was he's been in AC for his whole life. He's been trying to, like, think of other business ideas outside of AC. And we just pulled him right. Yeah, exactly. Right back like, in. But uh, wait. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hear, hear me out. Um, but, but, you know, ultimately he, he loved the idea. Um, we pitched it to his, to his family and, um, they were in, they were just like, let's, let's do it. Uh, and so that's, that's how, that's how windmill, uh, was born with that, with that initial, you know, pain point of, or pain points of air conditioning in, in New York city. Um, you know, but, but ultimately sort of the vision of, of windmill, um, is, uh, is to expand outside of air conditioning and is to think about uh, air care more broadly. Um, uh, and, you know, I think especially now with, with COVID and the wildfires out West, um, air quality is becoming more and more important. Um, global warming, right, is making summers hotter and hotter. And, um, and I think, you know, there, there's a need for an, some player in, uh, in air care and air conditioning yeah. to think about the environment in a, in a bigger way. Um, so I say that to say that that was the sort of the, the origin of windmill, um, but that's evolved quite a bit uh, since that that uh, f- that hot summer move uh, in, in. Oh November. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'll that'll definitely leave an impact on you. I'll, I'll oh, yeah. tell you that any move yeah. in New York City in the summer, whew, oh, is yeah. harrowing. <laughs> I know it's it's actually brutal. How did you how did you approach the first design of, of your unit? Like boy, that seems like such a daunting task and such a, a hard problem to, to even approach, just given the high capital costs and hardware is hard, as we all hear time in yeah. and time out. Like it's definitely not a thing to take lightly, which I know you didn't. But that how was that? Yeah. In the, in the beginning, um, in the beginning, you know, you sort of you don't know what you don't know. And I think the f- you know, at that point, I didn't have hundreds of investor conversations like picking apart the idea. So in my head and our heads, it was like, oh, this is brilliant. Like, let's just let we're we're gung ho. We're gonna, like, let's move forward. Um, 
you know, so I think in that sense, when you're just starting out with an idea, it's, it's almost nice to have blinders on because if you thought about the reality of any idea, you could just tear it apart and then never think about it again. Um, so I guess we had the luxury of blinders back then and we, uh, we did two things. We flew, we flew to uh, Ryan's family's factory um, and we pitched them on the idea, told them what we wanted to do, um, got them on board. That was like step one. And once we knew we had them and that they, they were willing to give us like an R&D team and engineers to, to innovate, um, then we went on a four month uh, um, epic adventure to find a industrial design firm that um, we thought fit our ethos and what we were trying to accomplish. Um, luckily, we, we found that uh, design firm and uh, and got started on some designs. And then from there, it was like, how, you know, this is where my betterment experience comes in because now I'm coordinating between a factory like Ryan's family and, and Ryan's engineers, uh, the industrial design firm, you know, an engineering firm. So, you know, I was just sort of like playing point and like trying to get this design to move forward to a point where we can actually prototype and see it. That's amazing. That's just, I, I'm curious about the epic adventure, first of all, <laughs> uh, but I feel like just the, it's almost akin to dating, trying to find the yeah. right design team and, and everything that, that lines up with how you see the world. Um, exactly. What, what was one of the first moments that you can remember in the process where the blinders kind of came off and you all looked at each other and like, oh shit, uh, <laughs> this actually, this right here, this is hard. Uh, what do we do? Yeah. We, oh man, there were so many moments like that. The, fir <laughs> the, the first one was, um, we had gotten some incredible designs back from our industrial design firm and we picked a direction kind of based on like the look and how we thought, you know, just like kind of purely on design. Um, and we weren't thinking as much about the function, like how does an air conditioner is extremely complex. Um, there are so many moving parts. I can't even begin to describe, uh, on this, in this, you know, um, call, like how, how intense it is, um, from a product perspective. Um, we, we push forward with this one design and, as we were prototyping, not not an entirely you know new uh, functioning prototype, but like just like three D box kind of thing, we were like, oh shit, the air is not going to flow if we do it this way. Like literally, like air is not going to blow into the room. It's going to get deflected and like go in weird ways, and it's not going to cool the room. And so we had this like, I remember we kind of called the team together. It was like nine o'clock at night. And we were just like, abort. Yeah. <laughs> we cannot do this design. And so we like, on a dime, like switched our entire, you know, not, a, not necessarily like the design like language and general direction of the design, but like the internal composition and where the air comes out, where the air comes in, like all of that changed that on that call. That's a major about face. <laughs> oh man. And I remember thinking like, what? did we just get into right <laughs> it was it was it was a, a very uh, humbling experience and then 
once you did, uh, we're gonna jump ahead a little bit, just once you did get that working prototype and, and getting closer to just, I guess, unveiling it to the world, because up until that point when you see like the actual functioning prototype and it's working as intended, it's, it's kind of just a hypothesis at that point. Can you describe that feeling of, of just, I don't know what it was, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but what, what was it like to see your product that you had spent so much time, sweat, tears, blood, working yep. on come to life? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's one of those like, you know, teary eye, uh, ex experiences where it's like, holy crap. Like we, we made, like, we just made that, you know, like, I, like it's fine. And not only did we make it, but when we looked at it, when we took a step back, it was, it looked like windmill. I can't describe it. It's like, you have this thing in your head, you build the brand in your head for, you know, for all this time. And it came out and it was like, yes, that, that is the windmill AC. Um, and that's when I knew, like, we're, we're, we got this, like, we can, we can do this. And, um, you know, the, the, the next part is sort of, well, okay, how do you make it at scale? Um, mm -hmm. And how do you uh, get it out in front of customers? And how do you deal with customer support? And uh, all the things that go into, you know, running the business, of course, then my, my head jumped to all that stuff. But in that moment, it was sort of just like, this is, this is a beautiful um, modern window AC, exactly what we set out to build. Um, and, and, you know, it was thanks to all of our amazing partners that worked for a year and a half to get us to that first prototype. That's amazing. And then once, once you did have the working prototype and I guess you kind of, as best as you could ahead of launch or, or just unveiling worked out some of the production skill issues because yeah. th that, that's a whole different beast because you can have as many hypotheses as you want about that. And just sometimes the reality is different, which you yeah. can probably attest to. How did you bring it to customers and, and think about bringing it to the market and unveiling windmill to the world? For sure. Well, we, we were going to launch last, last summer or last spring. So, so May, 2020, but then uh, COVID happened. Uh, and so the factory was shut down for a few months. Um, and that, I mean, that, we, we didn't really know what to do other than, um, you know, we had to rethink our, our, our launch plan completely. Um, we did, we did manage, uh, we basically pivoted to do kind of like a beta launch, um, instead of like a full scale launch because we had a, we had a batch of units produced at the end of, uh, it was like the beginning of August, end of July, beginning of August of, of 2020. Um, and, you know, for an air conditioning company, if you're just putting units out in August, like you missed it. Right. <laughs> you, know? yeah. you need to be selling in like March and, and April. Um, and so we, we, we managed to, uh, to get a batch of units out there. We did a, a big pre-launch campaign, um, ended up getting some amazing press. Like Forbes called us the iPhone of air conditioners. And, wow. Um, yeah. And, and that, that took off. Um, our wait list uh, uh, got close to 10,000. Uh, people at that point. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was that, you know, you talked about validating like the product, but that, that pre-launch was validating of the demand and the customer, which I think is more, you know, um, more important is that like yeah. people actually want this thing. Um, and so we felt really good. Um, after that, we got the units out, people love them. Uh, you know, we, we got some good press reviews too. Um, uh, actually, the same guy who wrote the the initial Forbes article got a unit and reviewed it, and you know, and loved it. So you know, the the hype it, super validating. Product, yeah, that's great. You know, had the hype, um, and so that was really uh, a big moment for us. Um, and then you know, that's that was a small batch, and so this this year we're um, we're making 
uh, a lot more. And so, uh, you know, the, uh, and we're doing it remote, right? We're not at the, we can't be at the factory because yeah. of COVID. So all of this scaling the business is happening remotely, uh, which is, uh, I did not anticipate. And it's, it's a crazy, um, a crazy world we're living in. That makes total sense. When, when will the official launch be? Like, wh what are we looking at? Yeah, it's going to be soon. Uh, it'll be amazing. It'll, TBD. It'll be soon. In, in, in the next couple of weeks. That's awesome. That's yeah. so exciting. And you, you brought it up a couple of times around when you're talking about windmill and how important it is. But you, you mentioned customer support and how you guys are differentiating from the, I guess, incumbents. Yeah. What's what's your approach to customer support and, and how, how do you think of that differently? For sure. I mean, this is this is probably what I view is is the, the most important part of the business. It's like the, the special sauce. Um, and uh, you know, if, if I were to, to summarize it quickly, it's just like be human, you know, talk to people the, the way, the way they want to be talked to. And, um, you know, like you're having, like we're having a conversation right now. Uh, that's, you know, it's not this like robotic, uh, thank you for writing in. Like, is there anything <laughs> else I can help you with? Or like, like answer the person's question, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and if they say like, Hey, I'm putting this AC in my, you know, mountain home in North Carolina, you know, you say like, that's so awesome. I'm jealous that you like, that's, <laughs> yeah, that, that's where you're going to be. That's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like just like talk to people normally. Um, and I think, and, and, and be when there are problems, there will be problems. Um, and when there are problems, fix them quickly and, you know, go over uh, and above what you, you know, what, um, I guess, normal customer support teams at massive appliance companies would do. Um, and so that's, that's been our, you know, sort of our um, our operational uh, uh, or I guess aspirational um, strategy is just like go above and beyond with, uh, when there are problems and just be human generally. Yeah, it's, it sounds so easy, but it's shockingly complex. I think that's a fantastic approach, honestly, yeah. for whatever that's where like one guy. I appreciate that. Lower I appreciate side. that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, so I, I know like launches around the corner and everything, and that is probably eating up a lot of your focus. But yeah. shortly after launch and everything, what is there anything you can share around like the future? Because I know you touched on how you're you're thinking about just air quality in for general sure. for windmill. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that before I let you get on with your day? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, just quickly on the on the on the launch front, um, you know, we're we are selling on our on our site, and that you know that's going to happen uh, soon. But we're we're live on HomeDepot.com. Oh, amazing! Yeah, we're going to be in store at a retailer uh, very very soon. Um, and so, you know, I think uh, that th I mean that that's a whole other conversation. Just getting into retail as a startup. Uh, but you know, I just wanted to make the note that. Um, you know, th those sort of the full scale like launches is, is, is coming. Um, we, we are we are live and, and selling this year and, uh, and and have had some awesome traction just, you know, so far. We've, we've actually grown like over a thousand percent in the last like month relative Amazing. to all of last year when we did the pre-launch. Um, That's so, got to feel good. <laughs> it feels so good. It feels so good. I'm, I'm very, very, very happy about that and, and excited to keep pushing forward. And um, you know, to that point, uh, and, and to your to your question, um, you know, uh, air air care generally, you know, air quality, air conditioning, um, the the environment in your home um, is becoming more and more important, especially after COVID. Not just with air quality, but the fact that like people are just in their homes all the time, 
yeah. you know, I, was like, I look around and like every detail, I want it to be right. I want it to be organized. I want it to look good. Um, and I never used to think like that before. Um, and so I think there's, you know, when you, when you think about windmill in the future, um, it, it will be a combination of um, creating these perfect home environments um, with thoughtful design. Um, and then, of course, you know, we talked about with incredible customer experience, you know, wrapped around all of that. Um, and, you know, the, the other part of it is, is, um, is the technology that powers the products. Can, can, we, um, can we tell people, you know, how much energy they're using? Can we make recommendations for, um, you know, hey, from four to five, we're not going to use our, all, every windmill customer is not going to use their windmill products. Um, and that's going to save, you know, X, um, uh, you know, percent of energy from the grid, um, which translates into energy savings for the customer and, um, you know, and for and for the and for the utility company. So um, I think that's like a really interesting path. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that we can do from a tech and product standpoint, just to think about um, contributing, uh, you know, to the, to the eco friendliness of like air products generally, which I don't think is, you know, when you buy like a humidifier or like an air conditioner, like, are you thinking about like energy savings and like the environment? Um, and it's like, how can we, how can we help do that? Yeah. And, and make it either an active part of just the messaging, but also a passive piece for yeah. the customer's perspective, because that's, that's when it really works is when it's, it's like that magic feeling. To totally. And so I think there, there's a lot, you know, um, uh, we're, we're laser focused on getting the air conditioner, you know, out and, and, and perfected. But I think as we think about the future of what windmill becomes, um, there, there's a lot of areas that we can, that we can play with and, you know, the sort of the eco piece, which we talked about, you know, the, the, the tech piece that sort of underlies, um, all of that air quality, better design. Um, you know, it's just, it's a really exciting space to be in right now. That's awesome. Uh, before I let you go, what, what is your life motto or mantra, if you have one, that you maybe have underlying? I think we maybe touched on it earlier in the podcast, but uh, I feel like yeah. there's a couple you could throw out there. Yeah, I, these, these sort of like, fit, like come in and come out. You know, it's like I think about something for like a month and then I switch to a different line. Um, uh, but my, my grandpa uh, always said um, things are never as good as they seem or as bad as they seem. And I think like... Um, I used to get so, yeah, I, I used to play golf in uh, middle school and, and high school and I'd get so pissed after a bad round and I'd beat myself up over it. And he would always just like sit me on his lap and be like, things are never as good as they seem or as bad as they seem. So I, I try to, I try to keep that in mind, you know, uh, if something bad happens with windmill or if something really good, you know, we got into homedepot.com and I was like thrilled, but it's like, Hey, bring yourself down. We still have, we still have a long way to go. And yeah. so I keep finding that middle ground and, and, uh, um, and not getting too excited or getting too frustrated or stressed is, is a good way to live. I think that's huge. Um, where you mentioned homedepot.com for people to check out windmill right now. Uh, where else can people find you and or windmill, uh, when the time is right? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, if you go to windmillair.com and, and sign up, uh, on, on the footer, um, of the site, um, we'll send, you know, updates and, you know, when we launch and when we, uh, when we, uh, announce new retail partnerships, you know, that's probably the best place to go, uh, on social media at windmill air. Um, I'm personally not that active on social media, uh, but, but, you know, um, everything basically through, through, through windmill air. 
That makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Thank you. Had a, had a blast. I'll talk to you soon. All right, folks.